Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us to learn about the words of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our pastor is Mr. Jeremy Visser from Brooks, Georgia. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.com or simply write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. We would like to hear from you, and we pray in the name of Jesus Christ that His will will continue to reign upon us all. Once again, welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry, and here's Pastor Visser with our next Bible study. Hello again, everybody. This is Pastor Visser from Covenant People's Radio, once again bringing you another informative radio show. Dear kinsfolk, this evening the topic will be centering around the doctrine of serpent seed. Indeed, no doubt anybody familiar with Christian identity knows about serpent seed because this is a fundamental teaching within our our movement. And we find a great divide between many different people who uh, have conflicting viewpoints. And as a result of these conflicting doctrines, we have all these different subcategories and sub-affiliations within Christian identity. Indeed, we have those that come along and they consider themselves a single seed liner. And then we have what's known as dual seed line. And dear kinsfolk, if you've been following Covenant People's Ministry for any length of time, I'm sure you're well aware that CPM is a dual seed line Christian identity ministry. We've always claimed to be as such. In fact, we've never made any such claim as to be anything else. So what we teach is a literal Satan. We teach that Satan himself is extremely literal, not that Satan is man's own flesh. And this evening, dear kinsfolk, I believe that Pastor Bill will be joining me so that we can discuss the serpent seed doctrine. And indeed, in future broadcasts of Wednesday Night Bible Studies, we will be having my wife join me to express her thanks to the many people who helped us over this hump, this hurdle that we're having in our uh, ministry right now. But indeed, the serpent seed doctrine has many variations, and there's many people who teach the serpent seed doctrine, and they teach it in one degree or another. Many people will come along and they'll say, well, Satan, the fallen angel, Sataniel, that serpent of old, is is confirmed in the book of Revelation. It was he who was placed there in the Garden of Eden at the very beginning. And indeed, that's what I believe, that's what I teach. But you find some disinformation artists who like to come along and say that uh, perhaps it was a Negro, perhaps it was an Asiatic, perhaps it was all sorts of different things. And many of you out there may be asking yourself, Pastor Visser, what is this you're exactly talking about? Well, the serpent seed doctrine stems from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. Indeed, it centers around the enmity that is placed between the seeds. And you've heard me preach on this many times, perhaps like in sermons, like it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel and so forth, where we understand that there was enmity placed between two distinct seed lines. And throughout all of Scripture, from the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation and the great and terrible day of the Lord, where Esau, Edom is finally destroyed, We see that that seed line is still there. Not only that, we see that that seed line continually attacked God's chosen people throughout the Old Testament. That same seed line took root in the New Testament in the manifestation of the Pharisees, many of the Sanhedrin and so forth that came forth and 
persecuted Yahshua Messiah as he walked this earth and taught our perfect law. But indeed, this is what's known as the Proto-Evangelion, and you've heard me cover this before. The teaching that it was Eve who was beguiled, quote-unquote. And indeed, it's that term beguiled where the dual seed liners teach that she was wholly, quote-unquote, sexually seduced. Now, one such tactic of the single seed liners or the no-devils is to come along and say, well, in the Hebrew, this term touch or naga doesn't really mean wholly sexually seduced. And indeed, it is metaphorical in the Hebrew. But it, there's little getting around Paul's words in 2 Corinthians, beginning in chapter 11, verse 3. Actually, beginning at the very beginning of 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, we see that Paul says this. He says, I wish you would bear with me. This is the Amplified Translation. I wish you would bear with me while I indulge in a little so-called foolishness. Do bear with me. For I am zealous and or jealous for you with a godly eagerness and a divine jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband to present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And indeed, the concept of virginity is extremely important within Christian identity. To truly become spiritually virgins, we must adhere to the law of God. We must become spiritually clean, and the only way to do that, of course, is by following the statutes laid down. But here we see that Paul is jealous, quote-unquote zealous, over his people, who? The Corinthians. Indeed, the Corinthians at this time could have been considered, quote-unquote, pagans. And so we see that Paul, straightforwardly, comes along and he's, doing exactly what Jesus Christ charged him to do. That is to go to the lost sheep, quote-unquote, of the house or the race of Israel. So Paul is jealous with us, with a divine jealousy. And he betrothed us spiritually to one husband as a chaste virgin. And he continues in verse 3, But now, Paul says, I am fearful, lest that even the serpent beguiled Eve by his cunning, so your minds may be corrupted and seduced from wholehearted and sincere and pure pure devotion to Christ. So, dear kinsfolk, we see here in this term, beguiled, the Greek word expatio, which in the Greek, of course, in the Strong's Concordance, is number 1818, and it means to sexually seduce holy, expatio. And so what Paul is saying is directly in line with Genesis chapter 3, that proto-evangelian verses we were discussing, where he says that Eve was seduced, and, dear kinfolk, this is where people come along. In fact, our detractor will come along and they'll say, what are you saying? Are you teaching that uh, Eve was a whore? Or they'll come along, in fact, and they'll say, I have a real hard time believing that the mother of our race, quote, unquote, would bed down with Satan or bed down with someone from another race. But, dear kinfolk, we know straightforwardly that Scripture says Eve was the mother of all living in fact, it was Adam, her husband, who gave her this name, Eve, the mother of all living, meaning both seeds, both righteous and unrighteous seeds, indeed. And so we see that Cain, perhaps, that bloodline, Kayen, as it's known in the Hebrew, was not of Adam, was of Satan. And so we see direct correlations. That term, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, where it says the serpent was more cunning. That term serpent is not kosh. Indeed, na kosh in the Hebrew. The term Cain, that is his progeny, is ka yen. 
in the Hebrew. And so we see that even in the Hebrew, these terms are locked. Indeed, it is written in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, and here is the verse where Yahweh comes along and pronounces judgment. And we must note also, dear kinsfolk, that part of Yahweh's judgment pronounced on Eve is that she will bring forth in suffering. It is not Yahweh who would come along and give a punishment that does not fit the crime. And so we see that part of Eve's punishment was that she would greatly multiply sorrow within thy conception, meaning that Yahweh God was not necessarily pleased with the conception of Cain. It was Yahweh God who knew in the very beginning that Cain was evil, that he was an evil seed. And dear kinfolk, we find in numerous other quote-unquote religions the same exact teaching. He says in Genesis chapter 15, Yahweh speaking, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. This is the curse upon Satan, the seeds. And so we see that this is more than a metaphor. We see that this is not just a snake who slithers upon the ground. That this term, snake or serpent, is a metaphor for a person. And indeed, Strong's Concordance says that this term serpent, it comes from a whispering magic enchanter. Meaning that the way of the devil is to come along and whisper in your ear. And that's exactly what the serpent did to Eve, is it not? Came along and said, yea, hath God said, and put doubt on the command or the charge of Yahweh God. And moreover, we must understand that that charge was laid to Adam. So it was Adam's responsibility to relay it to Eve. So when the serpent came along, we understand now why they as one were judged. But in verse 15, it is Yahweh who puts enmity between the seed of Satan and the seed of the woman. And he says, between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And again, continuing on in verse 16 of Genesis chapter 3, Yahweh puts the curse upon the woman and says, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Indeed, it was the will of Yahweh God for Adam to be the head of the household, for Adam to do the thinking, quote-unquote, at least on a spiritual level, for Eve. But Eve was not spiritually equipped enough. Eve fell, and this is what's known as the original sin. So, dear kinfolk, we understand. And moreover, this puts great clarity on why it is that in Genesis chapter 5, verse 3, Cain is not listed in the genealogy or the bloodline of Adam or Adam-man. Indeed, it was from this bloodline, from Adam, that the Israelites would come, that Jacob, Abraham, and all the chosen patriarchs of old would spring forth. And so we understand that Seth is a replacement, that Cain somehow, unless it was Yahweh God who erred in creation, in creating the soul of Cain, developed the concept and learned of evil, wickedness, and or murder. Your kinsfolk, murder is not necessarily a trait of Yahweh God. And what is known as fanyance or murder in the scripture, Cain knew of. And so it must have come from someone. We understand from scripture that the very first murderer, and again we understand that Cain was of the wicked one. Indeed, it was the most beloved disciple of all, that is John. In his epistle, the first epistle of John, beginning in verse 3. Dear kinsfolk, if you have any questions, you can go ahead and post them in the chat room, and I'll be happy to uh, answer them at the end of the show. 
Pastor Bill's trying to call in or what have you, uh, he should go ahead and make a note. I'm not really too comfortable with uh, talk show. Uh, back in the day of Ukoi, if many of you may remember, uh, Jonathan Williams ran most of the show, but we were back on Blog Talk Radio before they went down. And so talk show is an entirely different and new thing to me. So if you have any questions, just go ahead and post them. But indeed, Cain was of that wicked one. And this is confirmed in John's first epistle, beginning in chapter 3, verse 12, where it says as such. Now, actually, beginning in verse 11. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. And indeed, this is another concept that Christian identists seemingly miss out on, that I taught in through a glass darkly. That is the concept of agape love, love for your race meaning everything you do, every act of charity must be done for that. Jesus Christ, in the perfect pattern, did as well. Jesus Christ, who everything he did stemmed out of love. But that is what Paul says. He says, the message that you've heard from the beginning, the very beginning, that is creation. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one. And so we see straightforwardly that John confirms Cain was of, in the Greek, ek ex denouncing origin, meaning that Cain undoubtedly, undubitably is of, or the progeny of Satan, that wicked one, quote-unquote. And here in the King James, we see that that wicked one is not personified. But in almost every other translation, it is. That wicked one, one is capitalized, deified, personified, meaning Satan. And he continues, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother, and wherefore slew he him, question, because his own works were evil, and his brother's righteous. So we must understand that just like Jacob and Esau, Cain and Abel were contrasting seed. Abel had indwelled within him a form of righteousness, which is the Holy Spirit, that spirit that garnished the heavens in the beginning, the very spirit that created the world. And so it was not Yahweh God who erred in creation. Yahweh did not place a seed within Eve because he blessed that union, and suddenly Cain was born, and Cain just learned evil upon his own. But that is the way of the single seed liner. The single seed liner will come along and say, well, there's no Satan. Satan's just your flesh. And indeed, be that as it may, because that's what they teach, we must understand that the teaching that our flesh is Satan is detrimental. And why is that? That is because we must understand Jesus Christ himself was tempted of Satan in the wilderness directly after his baptism. Indeed, he was. And so us, as his followers, as disciples, those disciplined within the ways of Jesus Christ, those who set Yahshua Messiah as our pattern, must do the same exact thing. We must be purged, at least spiritually, baptized, and made new. But the single seed liner, quote-unquote, or the no-devil, will come along and say, well, Satan's just your flesh. So if that be the case, we must understand then that Jesus Christ was imperfect, at least according to their hypotheses, for Jesus Christ must have been tempted by his own flesh. Jesus Christ must have been tempting himself with all the mysteries and all the kingdoms of the entire world. Or is it just as Scripture confirms that he who is ruler of this world, prince of this world, as Jesus Christ says, owns this world, as confirmed in the book of Job as well, when there was a day in the very beginning of the book of Job, there was a day when the sons of God presented themselves before Yahweh God, and Satan himself came also. Satan, or Sataniel. 
And indeed, I've written a book on Satan, dear kinsfolk, and I invite you to order that if you so desire from our website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org. But Satan is very real, and this is confirmed by the book of Enoch. This is confirmed by numerous places within our New Testament and Old Testament canon. And as much as the single seed liner or those who doubt the existence of a literal devil try, they cannot get around the fact that Angelos or Archangelos in the Greek are fixed, meaning that an angel is an angel, a seraphim is a seraphim, and a fallen morning star, quote-unquote. That is Lucifer, is Lucifer. But the way of the false prophet is to come along and say, well, Lucifer doesn't really mean Lucifer. Lucifer is the king of Babylon. So, and indeed, that may be true, because that's what Isaiah straightforwardly says. But we must understand that Babylon means confusion. This is the MO of the serpent. This is what the serpent did in the very beginning, is it not? He came along and beguiled, quote unquote, or confused at least on a spiritual level, the clear cut teachings of Yahshua Messiah or Yahweh. That is, do not touch of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is only God who can know true evil or create true evil. As I covered in last week's sermon, a serpent shall bite him. Yahweh God can create the wicked for the day of evil. It is Yahweh God who can come along and place that serpent in that hedge and or that tree, that forbidden tree, so that man would have a choice, so that man would be accountable, so that man can choose life or death. Eve chose a miss. And as a result of these choosing a mess, Adam and Eve were both charged. Adam and Eve lost the ability to walk with Yahweh God. That is Yahweh God leading them as he did our forefathers. That is Yahweh God's divine hand being held. And so we understand that Eve fell, Adam fell. And these terms touch as in Naga. Nowhere within the book of Genesis do we see it is an apple. But the false prophet comes along, the Judeo-Christian comes along and says, well, Eve ate an apple, as if eating an apple is a sin. And ironically, they'll also come along and have apples within their fruit salad at their uh, church barbecues and so forth, because they don't really even believe in their own spiel. And dear kinsfolk, that's something I've learned as I've grown older. I used to believe that Judeo-Christians believed in another Jesus. I used to believe that Judeo-Christians believed in an entirely different system, an entirely different word of God. Now I've learned, dear kinsfolk, that most Judeo-Christians only believe in their self. They do not believe in the word of God. That's why they cannot see. So when John comes along and he writes in his epistles, Cain is of that wicked one, they'll come up with a dirge barrage of justifications. They'll say, why is it? How can that be? Oh, that's only spiritual. And so when you go to a spiritual teaching of Jesus Christ, like when he says, I am come only for the lost sheep, people of the house of Israel, they go, oh, indeed, those must be people. That's you and I, or those are the Jews, quote, unquote. But then you point out that serpent, and oftentimes these metaphors, these vipers, as John and Jesus Christ call the Pharisees many times, you point out that those are also metaphors for human beings, or at least the enemies of God. They seemingly don't understand that concept. They'll come along and say, huh, you're in a cult. Why would you teach that Eve was sexually seduced. Where does this serpent seed doctrine come from? The reality is it comes straight forward from the Bible. And if you read both Hebrew and Greek in their original tongues, there is no confusion within this. But it is the way of the serpent, is it not? The serpent in the book of Revelation that also confirms in full circle that that serpent in the very beginning that was in that tree was the 
great dragon of old, quote-unquote, the devil, and or Satan, which is a pronoun or a proper noun. And so the false prophet comes along and says, Satan just means adversary. Yes, Satan's name is adversary. And nine times out of ten, everybody in Scripture's name means something. And there's a reason for that. Cain, when he was born, dear kinsfolk, was considered a tiller of the soil, quote-unquote. But the interesting thing about this word tiller it can also mean slave. And so while it is Yahweh God who created Adam from that red soil or the dust of the ground and created his woman, Eve, from his own flesh and blood, flesh of flesh and blood of blood and bone of bone, we see that Cain, on a spiritual level at least, was a slave or a tiller of the soil, a tiller of the earth, Aretz. And the interesting thing about this teaching is that Cain was, quote-unquote, of the world, in addition to being of that wicked one. And so not only is that spirit of error that is out in the world, the spirit of Antichrist, that is what indwelled within Cain at the beginning. That is why he slew his, quote-unquote, own brother. And so we also understand, dear kinsfolk, that from Scripture, there is no term for mother-in-law. There is no term for son-in-law. There is no term, most especially, for half-brother or half-sister. And so this is the reason why Jesus Christ many times in the New Testament was considered a son of David. This is a Greek term or a Hebraism or a metaphor basically saying he's the great, 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 great grandson of David. Why am I expressing this? I'm saying straightforwardly that Scripture, the divine mandate, this Bible as we have it, as Yahweh God saw fit to assemble it for our use, nowhere in there does it say that Cain is of Adam. But the enemy will come along and sidetrack you on semantics and say, well, it says here, Eve says she'd begotten a man from the Lord. But the interesting thing is, if you study that out as well, that term Lord as well, it can mean Baal. And moreover, even on a superficial level, if Eve said, I have begotten a man from Yahweh, all souls come from Yahweh God. It is Yahweh God who creates the wicked for the day of evil. Could you not say that Cain and his destructive bloodline were created for that? The day of evil, the great and terrible day of the Lord, quote-unquote. That's spoken about by Obadiah. That's spoken about by Habakkuk. That's spoken about by Zephaniah. Indeed, it is. And not only that, we see later within the Bible in the Old Testament that the Kenite, quote-unquote, which again in the Strong's Concordance straightforwardly means sons of Cain were there after the flood of Noah. So the Judeo-Christian will come along and say, well, all races were born of Noah. It was Noah who from his Nordic white wife seemingly had one Asian and one Negro and one white child. But that's simply not the case. The Kenite made it through the flood. And that is because they were created for that day of evil, that day of destruction. They were created so that you could live in a world where there is a choice where sin lies at every door, the choice of life and death. Reality is, is this is the story of Cain in a nutshell. Cain learned the aspect of murdering from his father, who is of the wicked one. And so we understand that there are many terms and many concepts within Scripture that straightforwardly could be considered metaphors or they could be straightforwardly read through as they are. It was God, quote-unquote, who obviously in Eden, that is paradise, in that world that then was, 
put that serpent within that tree. And so when Eve came by, she did not hearken unto the law. And we see that if you break through a hedge, quote-unquote, a serpent will bite you. There is always a consequence for disobedience. The consequence that came on to us through our original parents, that is Adam and Eve, is death, mortality. We lost the ability to live forever with Yahweh God because of this particular sin. And so many people will come along and they'll blame Eve or they'll be lifted up in chauvinism and say, oh, it's all Eve's fault. But the reality is, is every single one of us is guilty and have inwired within us the ability to sin, the ability to fall. We could be lifted up and believe as well that we ourselves don't need to hearken unto every word. Noah believed as such, and Noah was struck down because he did not hearken straightforwardly. And so it is Yahweh God who gives his charge, and every single word, every jot or tittle is meant to be followed. Eve did not follow, and as a result, Cain came into the world. As a result of that as well, Cain, or Sargon, the Magnificent, or all of these terms that people want to attribute to Cain, the Asiatics, the enemy, quote-unquote, still stands. The reality is, is we have an enemy, an enemy that Jesus Christ would teach us when he teaches about his parable of the tares and the wheat. He would say that the wheat are the son of man, those chosen seed, the Zadok, those just like Abraham, just like Jacob, just like Adam and Seth, who were chosen for Yahweh's divine plan. And there were also tares. And when Jesus Christ explained his parable of the tares and the wheat, he explained that the tares are the children of the devil, children of the wicked one, just like Cain. And so the false prophet, those who stand up in front of their pulpit and lie to their congregation and tell them Yahweh doesn't know what's going on, act as if this is just chance. Oh, Jesus Christ must not have meant there were children of the devil. John must not have meant that there were children of the devil and Paul as well, if we were to take what the false prophet says. But the Bible straightforwardly says there are children of the devil and they are children of God. The Judeo-Christian come along and say, well, the children of God are obviously the Jews. But that's not the case, is it, dear kinsfolk? Because the biblical definition, again, of Antichrist is by John. And John says, anybody who denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, anybody who denies Jesus Christ in general is an Antichrist, a spirit of Antichrist. And so whether we take this on a literal aspect or we take it on a physical aspect, the fact is, is Eve disobeyed. And there was a consequence for her sin. That consequence was a prick in our side and will be there until the day of the Lord. So the teaching that Satan is not literal does not align with the rest of Scripture. It most definitely does not align with the teaching of Enoch and many of the other patriarchs of the Testament of Dan, the Lost Books, and so forth. Satan is extremely literal. Satan came along and tempted Jesus Christ, as I mentioned. Not only that, we must understand. When Satan came along, part of his temptation was not only all the kingdoms of the world that he himself, at least on an image-type level, presented to own or could have owned or could have offered him, he tempted Jesus Christ through his flesh, quote-unquote. And the Bible straightforwardly in many instances capitalized is that term temptor meaning that Satan was a tempter. So the false prophet comes along and they quote an obscure verse in James and they say, you see, well, man's only tempted through his own flesh. Was Jesus flesh and perfect? Or was he perfect? Straightforwardly, as scripture says. 
So the devil comes along and says, if you be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. What is that? Well, dear kinsfolk, we know that it was Jesus Christ who had just finished fasting 40 days. Fasting so that he could deal with a spiritual attack like Satan. And so Satan came along and tempted Jesus Christ, not his own flesh, through food. The aspect of turning stones into food. Well, too much food can be a form of gluttony as well. But the point that should not be missed is that Satan does appeal through the flesh. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship or receive monthly newsletters where you can order Pastor Visser's CD sermons, be sure to write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.com where our extensive audio section features numerous broadcasts you can easily listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast through your mobile audio device. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and within all that has been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when He returns, He will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply His words to your lives. It's been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Not man's flesh appealing through its own flesh, lest man not be in control of his own flesh. And so we see it is that Satan is real. We see that Satan's meddling in the very beginning will not fully be set right until that great and terrible day of the Lord, where every Edomite is destroyed. And so the single seed liner comes along and says, well, there is no Kenite seed line. There is no children of Cain. All of the Jews, all of the children of the devil came through Esau. But be that as it may, it does not matter if they came through Esau or not. Because it was Esau who mixed his seed with the Canaanites during his time, bringing great shame to his mother and father, quote-unquote, I might add. So either way, it doesn't matter because Esau mixed in with the same exact racial stock of Cain, the enemies that prick in Israel's side throughout all generations. So, dear kinsfolk, we must not make that mistake. We must understand that it was Yahweh God who gave us this choice, who created the crooked serpent so that man would be accountable, so that you and I would be without excuse. Yahweh God made a help meet for Adam. He formed all of Eden if you will. It was his own private paradise, and he gave it to our original progenitors of our race, our original parents. He gave it to them and said, the entire world is yours, Adam and Eve. It's yours. You can have it, every single thing, save this one tree. And the irony behind this command, this charge of Yahweh God, is that even though they had the entire world, just like Satan offered Jesus Christ in his temptation. They went after that one forbidden thing. They chose death over life. We must understand this concept. It was Yahshua, or Joshua, before the land of Canaan, who says, choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, it will be the Lord. But will you serve Baal, Baalim, Baal Peor, Baal Zebub, Lord of the Flies, Satan, whatever name you want to attribute to it, you can serve him. 
but the wages of sin is death. And this is the reason why Joshua says, choose this day, life or death. Eve had a choice laid out before, life and death, and she chose amiss. And so the metaphor, or at least the parable that should be learned from the book of Genesis, is that man does not live on bread alone. Bread, as in those stones that Satan wanted Jesus Christ to turn into bread. But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of Yahweh God. Had Eve done that, there would have been no Kenite race. Had Eve done that, there would have been no original sin. There would be no sorrow in conception. There would be no sorrow in childbirth. But just like the pattern in Jesus Christ, it was Yahweh who covered their sins. And so we should cover this, dear kinfolk. Because after this original fall, after man's failure, the temptation and the fall, Yahweh God comes along and he pronounces this judgment. But the transgression itself was of God's word. This began the earth's sinful, quote-unquote, career. This does not end, I might add, until the book of Revelation, chapter 20, verses 7 through 5. You could write that down if you want to study it for yourself. But it says in Genesis chapter 3, beginning in verse 6, when the woman, that is Eve, quote-unquote, saw that the tree, quote-unquote, tree, and once again we see a metaphor for could be family tree or could it be all manner of trees. We understand that Jesus Christ came along and said we must judge a man according to their what? Fruits. Well, fruits grow on trees, do they not? We must also understand that at one point in the Gospels, Jesus Christ came along, spit on the ground, took up the mud, and put it in a blind man's eyes. And the first thing that blind man said when he came up was, I behold man as trees walking around. And so biblically, and numerous other places throughout scriptures, like the cedar of Lebanon and Ezekiel and other places, we see that trees oftentimes represent family trees. And so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, good for food, not necessarily Yahweh God coming along, placing every race within the garden, because the false prophet will teach that. The single seed liner will come along and say, well, if the dual seed line hypothesis is true, that means that Yahweh God placed Asians and Negroes and uh, Puerto Ricans and mulattoes and everything there and said, Eve, you can go out there and sleep with them. But that's not what the scripture is saying, is it? No, indeed. She saw that the tree was good for food, quote unquote, spiritual food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes. As in all sin, sin is an image, an image that may break and cut us because the wages of sin is death. But indeed, it was pleasant to the eyes. As in, bread would be pleasant to the eyes of anyone who's being tempted and they're hungry. As if power in the kingdoms of the world would not be pleasant to the eyes or man's ego to somebody who's out in the wilderness living off of nothing and fasting. But the tree desired to make one wise. Understand it, get it down. Wisdom. Wisdom and understanding. It is Solomon, wise King Solomon, who says in much wisdom is much sorrow. And that is a reality of life, dear kinsfolk. As you go older, as you go wiser, especially within the dark sayings of this scripture, you heap upon yourself burdens oftentimes, sufferings oftentimes. It's much easier to live in a delusion. That is why so many people come along and they choose that lie of Judeo-Christianity. They choose the lie of all you've got to do is open your heart to Jesus Christ. Because it's easier to accept the fact that Scripture straightforwardly says the hearts of all men are evil. The hearts of men are evil. But Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, was God manifest in the flesh. So he is more than man. 
He was a quote-unquote superman. He was more than natural. He was the supernatural. So that tree, this original sin, the transgression of the word, she took and did eat the fruit thereof, naga, and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Gave also the same fruit, quote-unquote. What is a fruit according to Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ says we're to judge a man according to his fruits. Well, fruit is a work. And so the false prophet will come along and he'll go, well, see right there, that means that Adam went and had a homosexual relation with the devil. But that's not what it's saying, is it? No, indeed. Eve straightforwardly took that fruit thereof, that work thereof. What she had learned from Sataniel there in Eden and gave it to her husband. Taught her husband the same exact thing, which was what? Seduction, falling, losing our original state. And so just the fact that Adam ate with Eve and ate with the serpent and was privy to these same curses in the Proto-Evangelion doesn't mean he was out having a homosexual affair. In fact, this is what the false prophet, the single seed liners, come along. They say, well... Eve is the mother of our race, only our race, not the mother of all living. And I have a real hard time grasping the aspect that Adam is a queer. Well, I've never met a dual seed line teacher who's ever said Adam was a homosexual. But that's just a side note. What happened after they ate this quote-unquote forbidden fruit or this forbidden work, this forbidden knowledge? Continuing on in verse 7, Genesis chapter 3, it says, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. They knew that they were naked. Why? Because their eyes were opened. How did they open their eyes? Through wisdom. Forbidden knowledge. Your kinfolk understand it. There are many dark sayings. There are many dark secrets that man is not meant to know. That the quest from our flesh or from our ego to know can cause you to fail, to cause you to fall. For example, the desire for too much indulgence on any level, not being able to keep all things in moderation could be one such example. But Adam and Eve, the effects of their transgression was that their eyes were opened. Indeed, part of what the devil said was true, was it not? Their eyes were opened because that was the promise. That's what he said. His lie was, God knows that in the day you eat thereof, in the day that you know and partake of this knowledge, your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Only a God, Yahweh God, can truly know good and evil. So, when their eyes were opened, they saw that they were what? Naked. This isn't perchance they ate an apple and all of a sudden, oh my God, we noticed that we're naked. The reality is, is this punishment fit the crime? They knew that they were naked. They knew that it was shameful. And what did they did? They tried to cover up their transgression. Indeed, continuing on. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They did initially. They covered their own sin. They covered the very objects by which their sin had transpired because they were ashamed. Because for once they knew good and evil. They had tasted the bitterness of darkness and of death. Continuing on in verse 8. They heard the voice of Yahweh God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh God amongst the trees of the garden. 
amongst the trees. And once again, we must understand the analogy. that This is paradise. This is Eden. This is the world that will be restored in the quote-unquote day of the Lord after the millennial reign. Meaning that every single rudiment will be destroyed, will be burned up. And that this earth will be restored to its former glory. It was in this garden that Adam and Eve were placed. But also placed within this garden was a tree, a forbidden tree, full of fruit, quote unquote, full of works that man was not meant to know. Adam and Eve were not content to just dwell within the hands of Yahweh God under his shadow, under his wing, quote unquote. They heard the voice and they were ashamed. They were afraid and they hid themselves. Why? Because they were naked. Naked before the Creator. Just like in the book of Revelation, dear kinsfolk, what is man's garment made up of before the great white throne judgment? His works, quote, unquote. His fruits, quote, unquote. And so the fact that Adam and Eve were ashamed because they were naked before the man who created them naked, the very God or deity that breathed into the soil and allowed Adam to partake of his Holy Spirit. They were ashamed. You must understand also on a superficial level that they had the law written within their heart. They had the very Spirit of God indwelled within them. This is why they were ashamed. This is why they tried to cover their sin and tried to cover their nakedness. Because they understood they had transgressed against their God. Unlike those other races, unlike those races that are created in Genesis chapter 1, verse 25 and previous chapters before Ahadam, the reality is, is that law was written. They knew that they had sinned. And it is here that they lose their grace. Verse 9, Yahweh God called unto Adam and said unto him, where art thou? Simple question, where are you? And he, that is Adam, said, I heard thy voice in the garden and I was afraid. Why? Because I was naked and I hid myself. So how is it if this was not a sexual act, quote unquote, or a serpent seed doctrine, how is it that Adam was ashamed that he was naked? How is it that he hid himself because he was naked? How did he know that being naked was shameful? Because it was hardwired within him. Because he had the spirit of Yahweh God within him. That is what Adam was, a son of God, according to the New Testament Gospels. And it is Yahweh God in verse 11, chapter 3, who said, Who told thee that thou was naked? Question. Who told thee? Who told thee? And so the irony is, is that those who come along and teach Judeo-Christianity want you to believe that Adam and Eve were the only two people in the entire world, that all races came from them. But here it is, God blowing that theory out of the water. He says, who's told you? What tree told you you were naked? How did you know this? We see divine wisdom here. We see that Yahweh God already knew because it was his divine mandate, part of his plan. Satan to fall. So he asked, who told you you were naked? Question, has thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? Question, instantly, right off the bat, he knew what tree they went after because he had formed that tree for that entire purpose. As I covered in the Morning Star series, dear kinsfolk, there are many places in the early church fathers where they said that by this sex, quote unquote, the sex that transpired between Eve and the serpent. By that sex, sin entered into the world. But when that head was crushed by Jesus Christ, that union between the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, 
when Yahshua Messiah was placed within the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit itself, that quote-unquote sex set straight the original transgression. That transgression, the shame of nakedness. Yahweh God knew who told him was naked. Yahweh God said, did you eat of that tree? Continuing on in verse 12. And the man, that is Adam, said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Gave me of the tree. Gave me that knowledge, that forbidden knowledge of that tree or taught by that tree or that family tree, by that lineage. And I did eat. I did partake of those sins. And here comes the curse upon Adam. We've already covered the curse on Satan. That enmity that was placed between the woman and the devil. Straightforwardly, there is a seed. And so if man comes along and says, that's just a serpent. Well, why is it then that serpent has a seed? Nonetheless, in verse 14, Yahweh God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. On thy belly thou shalt go, proverbially, and dust thou shalt eat all the days of thy life. Interesting, is it not dust? Aretz, that same term, that same red soil that Cain was a slave or a tiller too. That same red soil that Adam was created of. So the curse, or at least the beginning curse upon the serpent, is that he shall eat dust all of his days. So understand this concept. The serpent will be a leech. He will have a leech-type mentality. He will come along and he will eat or consume the dust. Who's the dust? The Adamites. So there's destruction between those curses. That enmity was placed between them. Their kinsfolk, we must remember as well, that not only did this serpent seed that entered into the world bring upon itself destruction, when Cain was banished to the east of Eden, where did he take his wife? Because scripture straightforwardly says he did. He went to the east and he took a wife and he built a city and named it Enoch. Did he not? Indeed. And the reason for that is the entire earth, in essence, was cursed. It's the loss of Eden, the loss of paradise. There was curse upon all of mankind, all of the progeny that would come. And that, of course, covers and begins in verse 17. Unto Adam he, who? God, Yahweh God, still speaking. Unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, because you listen to your wife instead of doing as I charged you, instead of having your wife do what I charged you, because you listened to your wife over God, and eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Meaning that Yahweh God cared for them. Meaning that they did not require the earth to live, that is, in their initial state in Eden. They did not necessarily even require food. But one of the curses of earth between Adam and man and God is that God would make man bound to the earth, that ashes to ashes and dust to dust, that man would eventually die and go back to the very dust from which he was created. And moreover, that man would have to plant and sow and grow in order to be fed. Why? Because it was no longer a choice. Because now man, at least this concept of free will, had the ability to be blessed by God or not, but it required what? Fruits, work. If you don't go and plant your vineyard now, if you don't go and plant your corn, your wheat, or whatever it be, and pray to Yahweh God, that is God of the universe, controller of the weather, 
You may not be blessed. You may starve. You may die. You may be just like Cain, who didn't understand the concept of a sacrifice. Cain brought what? Fruit of the earth. He brought something that grew on its own. He did not understand that all sacrifice requires blood. Abel did. Abel understood this. And so Adam's curse, or at least part of Adam man's curse, is that in sorrow we must eat all the days of our life. Continue on. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat of the herb of the field. Now you're going to eat. No longer will you live on the spiritual bread. Indeed. We know that man doesn't live on bread alone. We know that man, in essence, at least on a spiritual level, can technically live on the word of God only, or at least could have. Now man requires food. Now man requires the quote-unquote herb of the field. And not only that, there's a chance, per chance, or a propensity to plant. And if we don't please God, by how? By obeying him, by doing exactly as he says. If we don't please him, there's a chance that it's only going to bring forth thorns and thistles. You may not survive the winter. Continuing on. In the sweat of thy face, thou shalt eat bread. Thou shalt return unto the ground. What's saying? What's Yahweh saying? You will die. And so the lie of the serpent was, you're not truly going to die, are you? And we, as Christian identists, nine times out of ten, only look at this aspect right here in verse 19 of chapter 3. Oh, here it is that he was, Adam and his progeny are pronounced a death sentence, an eventual death indeed. And that's what this original sin brought upon us. But many people miss the fact that there was a spiritual death that came with it. A spiritual death, a banishment, a sacrifice. What did they lose? Well, they lost Eden. And Eden means paradise. They lost the entire world. Why? Because they hearkened unto the voice of the devil. And now we should understand why it was that Jesus Christ, who even though he owned the entire world, was set down as a perfect pattern for us to follow, why it was when the devil came along and offered him the entire world, he said no. Because he would have lost it had he done it. The reality is, dear kinfolk, you must have that faith, the faith of the saints, that when the Edomite, when the Jew, when the false prophet comes along and they offer you the world, they offer you your 30,000 as the feds do. They offer you your 30 pieces of gold as they did Judas. You won't fall because the wages of sin is death. A serpent will bite you. That is the consequence of sin. And we must understand that it was God who put that serpent there. In the sweat of Adam's face, he shall eat bread. He shall return to the ground. Why? Because out of it he was taken. For dust thou art, unto dust thou shalt return. And so we understand this concept. Man is created from dust, and when man dies, we stick him in the ground, quote-unquote, and he turns back to dust. So that circle of life continues to evolve. But it was Jesus Christ who says, we're not to store up treasures on earth. We're to store up treasures in heaven. Why? Because that is the ultimate goal. The flesh avails. The flesh profits nothing. The flesh can oftentimes get us in trouble. It was the flesh that caused the serpent's seed to exist that same serpent seed that exists today we must understand also that this teaching continues in verse 20 adam called his wife's name eve because she was the mother of all living it was adam who named her yahweh god 
gave Adam woman, gave Adam man a help meet. What is a help meet? We must understand this concept. Adam was not necessarily to quote unquote lord over his help meet. Indeed, it was Adam man who was to be the head. That is only if Jesus Christ was the head of that Adam man, as it stands for you and I. But she was to be a help meet. Her job was to help Adam tend to paradise. Adam being a representative of a moral governor, an appointed ruler of Yahweh God, placed above all of the trees, all of the people. And he failed in that. She was not a proper help me. Moreover, the curse that came to Adam, as we covered already, was because he hearkened unto her voice, but by Adam not technically, quote-unquote, being a man, brought upon himself and his future progeny, a curse. Indeed, it was his own son, Adam's own son, Abel, that was murdered by Cain, was it not? We see the same thing laid over in the teaching of Solomon, the wise King Solomon, whom Jesus Christ said there was no wiser person on earth. There was Solomon's dad, David, who sat upon a rooftop, who looked over, and when he saw Bathsheba, wasn't necessarily a sin, was it? Him looking upon a beautiful woman? No, indeed. The sin came when he looked back, when he looked back to Bathsheba. And that, of course, was for the glory of Yahweh God. It was through that unholy union and that union that King David caused Uriah the Hittite to be murdered, but it was still through that union, through Bathsheba, the quote-unquote whore, that Solomon came through. And Solomon would teach nonstop and warn against the foreign or strange woman, don't race mix, don't adulterate your seeds. He would put terms and make them almost as if they were riddles, quote-unquote. And that's what a proverb is, is a riddle. It's designed so that you can unlock it. It's designed so that when Proverbs 3, 5, and 7 straightforwardly say that if you go after the way of the strange woman, the strange person, if you adulterate your race, your fountains, quote-unquote, your fountains or seed will be dispersed abroad, dispersed upon the entire world, if you will. And so we see that it's always about seed lines. Indeed, we live in an age now where man does not necessarily care about their progeny. They do not care if their daughters bring home Leroy from the pulpit. They may not even care about the progeny of their own mates, but they will care about the uh, offspring of their Labrador. They'll care about that horse they have. They'd never even consider mixing those seeds, but their own seed, well, that doesn't really matter to them. And so we understand that it was the same concept. It was the same sin, was it not? Esau didn't care about his quote-unquote seed or birthright. He would trade it away, would he not? He went on to the Canaanites. He brought shame unto Abraham, Jacob, Isaac. Indeed, he brought shame because of his adulteration. Eve brought shame upon not only the world, not only us, but upon her own husband because she would not hearken unto the voice of Yahweh God. And so, dear kinsfolk, with that being established, I will look very quickly in the chat room and see if there's any questions. And if there is, I will answer them. If not, I will go ahead and free up this show so that you guys can swing on over and see uh, Pastor Dan John's show. And uh, see, yeah, indeed, we got Martin Lindsay in there today. We probably have six killer in there. I like that. Oh, fly away. Any of you guys want to call in? Martin Lindsay, you can call in if you like. I'll go ahead and unmute you. Let me see if there's any questions. <laughs> okay. Well, it looks really good. Actually, uh, for some reason, Pastor Bill did not call in tonight. 
um, that might that error might be on our own end. Again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the broadcast, dear kinsfolk, thank you, each and every one of you who supported Covenant People's Ministry for the last several months as we went through our ordeal. And to our brothers and sisters in Tillamook, Oregon, who sent my wife money in Washington for Christmas, it was much appreciated. She received that. Dear kinsfolk, if you're looking for a way of supporting Covenant People's Ministry, Covenant People's Radio, and so forth, never forget that you can order our books. In fact, I believe all four books can be ordered for a discount for about $40. Puts them at about $10 a piece if you order all four at once. They're eight and a half by 11 full-length books. If you want any suggestion and order just one, I suggest you order Sataniel. That seems to be the most popular book of all. Dear kinsfolk, Five minutes to go to Pastor Dan John's show. I appreciate each and every one of you for joining us this evening and listening, and I hope that you'll join us again next Wednesday as we have some of these problems ironed out. Until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, wishing you and yours great studies. War for Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given that wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.com, and share your Christian testimonies or ask questions and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible Studies and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website or write to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Our phone number is 404-906-9009. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.